The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Got a lot to get to here tonight. A two-game night. Philly taking care of Toronto to even that series at a game apiece. Huge win for Philly. It seemed like after game one, we could be headed to that five-gamer that I think Danny and I both predicted. We could still could be going in that direction. And then we got to talk about Denver-Portland and get to some free agent rankings as well here. But I think where you have to start here is with the defensive adjustments that the Sixers made, which I thought were very successful. Yeah. And I mean, one of them was something you posited on our game one recap, which was kind of figuring out, okay, how can you slow down what Toronto is doing? And the idea behind it was there are these similarities in terms of the lack of an in-between game. I think I think it's very, you know, the mid the pull-up mid-ranger, all that with Pascal Siakam and Giannis. And what some teams have done, including Philadelphia, on Giannis is put a center as, as this primary defender. And using Joel Embiid in that matchup, the, one of the biggest benefits there was that he was able to be so much more disruptive around the basket. Yeah, I thought that Toronto really struggled to finish around the rim and Siakam in particular was forced into a really rough game nine of 25 from the field uh, only got to the foul line for two attempts 21 points overall and yeah he got up to 25 shots but he tried and beat a couple of times early he beat him with one spin move early on but overall he wasn't really trying and beat him Bede was just laying back and saying hey i'm seven two you want to go into me generally siakam has had the length and athleticism advantage on most guys who guard him he was able to get those great touch finishes off the glass, moving to the rim, and Embiid really denied that from him. And Siakam did hit two of seven from downtown, but it was a lot of awkward shots from him, going seven out of 18 from two-point range on a guy who, who shoots you know around 60% in a lot of games. So that was huge, just to slow down Siakam himself, and then to also be able to have more help available on some of the drives. Kawhi Leonard was still 13 to 20. 24, but when Embiid was in the game, he wasn't doing as much. I thought his looks uh, were a lot harder. It was still a dominant game with 35 points. He's really the only Raptor who played well offensively. And they tried to dare the Raptors to get into the post of Marcus Gasol. They had some success doing that briefly in their run in the third quarter, forcing some double teams with the Gasol guarded by usually Tobias Harris. But overall, Gasol was only one out of six and one of four from three. So it's not like he was just killing them in the post. They probably could go to that a little bit more when they made a concerted effort at good well and not only that but the concerted effort was a part of getting Tobias Harris in foul trouble he ended up finishing with four but and so it didn't really affect the minutes he played but it could have in in a different game that could have altered it but I want to talk a little bit about Toronto what they did from two and I mean they were just devastating I mean Kawhi Siakam overall in game one 15 to 25 around the rim solid you know not 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 particularly ridiculous and 25 attempts is okay especially considering Toronto got to the line for 31 free throws 
throw, or sorry, not 31 free throws, for 15 free throws. That was important. I was looking at the wrong one. But 25 restricted area, 19 floater range, and then, and they were only 7 of 19 there, and then 1 of 10 from mid range. So I'm not saying Joel Embiid is the reason they were 1 of 10 from mid range, but scaling out their shots, not getting as much around the basket, not getting as much at the free throw line, that means you're going to have to get a larger part of your diet there. And generally speaking, whether it was due to Embiid or not, that wasn't sustainable in this game. Yeah, meanwhile, Ben Simmons had the Kawhi matchup the whole time. And while we mentioned Kawhi did pretty well in this game, and whenever he got a switch, he really feasted. But Simmons, 44 minutes, only had six points, only took six shot attempts, only had five assists. But I I thought he was really important to just not let Leonard get anything easy. He competed, he got over screens, he wasn't going to get physically overpowered, really the only wing guy who falls into that category with Leonard. And then that freed up Jimmy Butler as well to do more offensively he had 30 points which is 17 more than anyone else on the Sixers had it going from three point range with four out of 10 got to the foul line on a few questionable ones but he was just more much more active offensively got up 22 shots and he was able to relax a little bit more defensively hide out on either Lowry or Green a little bit more Green usually was Redick but uh so it wasn't as physically punishing a matchup uh, for him so he was able to be their offensive engine I thought they did a nice job of attacking Marcus Gasol and pick and roll more often especially when and we'll get to this why I think the Raptors need to make some rotational changes especially when Embiid is out of the game and so then you're basically it's pick and roll with Harris and Butler the whole time and so uh, Ibaka is probably more mobile and better suited to defend and pick and roll than Gasol is whereas Gasol obviously is great in the post uh, against Embiid so yeah I thought the the strategic changes worked they also just executed a lot better boxes and elbows really helping even one pass away off of Toronto shooters and Toronto finished a, a miserable 10 out of 27 with some pretty good looks from guys like Green, Gasol that just didn't go down. I thought they also did a better job of making Leonard's looks tougher from three. It was three out of 10 after four of eight in the first game. But they really, especially in that first quarter, which set the tone and Toronto only had 17 points. And remember, both Siakam and Leonard had 17 points in game one in the first quarter. Uh, I thought they really made it more difficult. Kawhi did find more space to operate as the game went on but particularly at the beginning of the game they were able to shrink the floor uh, on Kawhi and make his life more difficult speaking of shrinking I thought another important element of this game was Brett Brown narrowing the rotation they were running a seven a seven but more of an eight I guess man rotation James Ennis the primary bench guy all their starters played 32 plus minutes and I mean if second leading score in the game for the Sixers James James Ennis. Ennis yeah Ennis was two of six from three four of ten from the field he played 24 minutes I thought he really did add add something and just also by not being a negative the way that a lot of their bench players are then the other primary spot was backup center that's I thought Greg Monroe did a really good job, a surprisingly good job during his minutes. Crashed the offensive glass, was not as much of a liability defensively, but then he sprained his ankle and they had to go to, they tried Boban, they tried Amir Johnson. I thought Amir Johnson did better of those two. And then they had Jonah Bolden playing spot power forward minutes, basically just filling the gaps for when the other starters sat. And no cork maws, you know, none of the other kind of stuff. And I thought that I thought that worked a lot better for Philadelphia. Concentrating their minutes among their best players really did make a big difference. And also another thing I want to mention, Philly 
22 assists on 30 made baskets. And in the first half, that was 14 assists on 16 made baskets. Some of that was, you know, there wasn't as much Joel Embiid ISO. He only took one field goal attempt in the first half. But also, they, I thought they were moving the ball better too. Yeah, the, that was the, definitely the case. Your assist totals look better when, when you make shots. And Philly shot a great eight out of 15 in the first half for downtown and then they proceeded to go two out of 20 in the second half although they did hit uh, one huge one uh, uh, with butler that managed to keep him in front when Embiid got double teamed in the post and was totally off balance and somehow hooked a pass all the way to the opposite wing for a butler three and i think also just butler being willing to be aggressive from downtown to get up 10 three-point attempts and that wouldn't wouldn't shock me if that was his season high in three-point attempts you know he was averaging like three or four a game maybe and they need that from him they just got to get that spacing with Harris having another rough night and then Embiid 12 points two of seven six turnovers he did actually succeed in getting one decent look uh actually no I'm sorry I should say two decent looks against Marcus Ole. He had that important up and under late off a drive as well and he had one little flip shot around him but Gasol still made his life pretty miserable Embiid in addition to the knee issues was uh under the weather as he colorfully put it uh after the game or more colorfully put it I should should say than saying under the weather what else stuck out to you uh, about this one well you were right with jimmy butler he had nine i think he only had nine once and then he had eight a couple times so this was the season high of three-point attempts for jimmy butler kyle lowry was just he a lot of the shots he was taking were fine within the course of the offense he was just missing them early he was two of six from three but started out zero for four and then had two big threes that cut the margin late and when toronto made this significantly more interesting and then something else we didn't talk about was philly one of the reasons even though they you know they shot a little bit better and the Toronto just missed a ton of twos as well a reason this game was was a little bit closer was the huge disparity in turnovers 19 to 9 in favor of Toronto and half of those were were steals so it wasn't a completely ridiculous number but that is still I, I think that's important and something that I thought was was striking I was looking through the cleaning the glass single game stats Philadelphia had a 0.36 point per possession in transition in this game so that's another another area where you would expect them to be better turnovers maybe not going to be better but they should be better in transition so another thing that needs to get a lot better is toronto's bench they weathered it because their starters were so incredible in game one but i mean to be outscored in bench points 26 to 5 after their bench did nothing in the first game ibaka had an okay stretch but norm powell really got roasted on defense ibaka didn't really provide the spacing he only got 13 minutes in this game van fleet was negative 18 in 18 minutes and he really just continues to not be able to create any kind of offense in pick and rolls on the second units when they got leonard out of the game he and siakam just were not able to get it done i do think now toronto if it's going to be Embiid guarding siakam okay now put Siakam as the ball handler and pick and roll put a shooter to screen in the back of Embiid and then pop out and now you've got something Siakam is capable of handling on those plays and if Embiid tries to go under I think you can still have a mobile guy set that screen on him cause problems even if Siakam is not going to pull up from the free throw line he's he's made one of those shots in the playoffs but that's not really his game and it's not really his game to shoot threes off the dribble but I think that's something that could work because Embiid just isn't mobile like that and then if you force help you you can have a shooter probably Danny Green would have to be that guy or even Kawhi pop out 
give you the better matchup um i did think that the sixers overall in this game did a much better job on those small small pick and rolls involving reddick guarding the screener although toronto did start to get pretty good looks on that late um you know we could be talking about a much different game here if toronto doesn't go 10 out of 37 from three with some of their best shooters you know philly was 10 out of 35 as well so you know it's not like they had a ton of luck the offensive rebounds actually ended up even curiously enough the sixers did make it a lot easier by turning it over 19 times that was what even kept this remotely close in the first half it was 51 38 at halftime and the sixers turned it over on 20 percent of their possessions but i think this is going to be a high turnover series for them with just how active toronto is and some of the truncated spacing that they have but then the other adjustment i think that has to happen is just a little bit of a change for the raptors because as you often say they need a theory of this second unit that's going to work and maybe that is putting Gasol in and just matching up his minutes with Embiid then I'll I really like Ibaka as a matchup offensively against Monroe as well because Ibaka's pick and pop can really stress out Monroe's lack of mobility they did put Monroe on on Siakam as well also it's unclear if Monroe's even gonna be able to play in the next game which amazingly for a guy who was on the last week of the season could end up being a blow for Philly if they have to go back to Boban again or Amir Johnson I, I have a feeling it'll be Amir Johnson but Amir Johnson isn't going be able to finish anything on a pick and roll the way uh, Monroe was or hit the offensive glass he's just you hope he can be a stopgap defensively but I think having Gasol in there the second unit will just run a little bit better if they're gonna put him beat on Siakam with that second group now you can get Gasol in the post and, and maybe set up some shots for guys that way have those guys screen for each other and, and just you'll have fewer dead possessions where you're the only guy who really can pass on that second group is Van Vliet who's really getting in the offense and, and he just can't finish at the rim at all or even really pull up from mid-range very well he just doesn't have the size or the explosion to get the separation and do that so I think Gasol would really help them on both ends if you match his minutes up with Embiid that would probably be my first look at and Nick Nurse you know this is one of those ones like yeah you know we won the last game it's everything seemed to be working and you know this this kills me like coaches do not adjust when they win the game and now you lost a game maybe because you didn't fix something that you could have fixed you knew this is a problem but we won we're not going to change it no how about you be proactive and fix the problem instead the point about the second unit offense i think is really important here too i mean the the defensive part gasol does a much better job on joel and than serge Ibaka. that that isn't breaking any news but also remember that you're using Ibaka at center then and you're you're losing Gasol in certain lineups when Embiid's on the, when Embiid's off the floor but you should be able to score in those lineups anyway like that you you should be able to have personnel make make some hay then and that gives Van and yeah. Van Vliet should have a little bit more real estate all those sorts of things so I, I think it's just it's a natural fit and also because of Joel Embiid's limitations due to injury and it's it, since it sounds like I mean the word that's been used a lot is tendonitis that's probably not going to get meaningfully better during this series Gasol will probably play similar or more minutes than Embiid so squaring their minutes isn't is it isn't a problem it isn't like you're creating some sort of gap you're just allocating differently a couple other notes here Gasol needs to just keep gunning from three-point range he's open he can shoot over who, whoever's guarding him they're helping a lot at the rim he just needs to make those shots and take those shots like they're, they're kicking it out to him he's open yeah he's only one out of four he had one play where he was wide open passed it instead to Danny Green who got his shot blocked in the corner when he should have Gasol could have just taken I know 
he wants to move the ball quickly and get the ball out of his hands but he's worked very hard on that shot i think he needs to be aggressive with it because the raptors offense doesn't run if he doesn't take those shots in rhythm i thought you were going to go from that into danny green's rough night i mean he was was plus 14 and and i thought defensively he really did did bring things to the table and his four spacing matters and also he's better than their bench guys because the bench guys did not play well but one for eight one for six from three on the looks that you'd want to take and and remember this game was close enough that after a scramble play Kawhi Leonard you know it was a loose ball Kawhi Leonard gets it kicks it to Danny Green has a three-pointer that could have tied the game late and Danny Green misses that shot to finish the one for six Danny Green also they haven't really gotten burned on this yet too much but he's making a lot of dumb gambles in the backcourt either going for offensive rebounds or steals he hasn't gotten any of them yet and it seems like every time Toronto's just so long that they've picked him up but watch out I think they're going to get burned on a couple of those eventually for Philly we didn't think they could win games in this series unless Embiid was one of the best players on the floor maybe the best player on the floor that was not the case but Jimmy Butler did that instead with with his 30 points you know that probably is not going to happen again and I think Toronto could do a better job on him particularly not fouling but this is you know if it's going to fall apart for Toronto it's going to be on the offensive end you know they have some streaky guys Lowry and Green are good shooters but you know we've seen Green kind of wax and wane at times they have five guys in their starting lineup who can make a three but none of them who are just insanely reliable so and they don't have a ton of playmakers especially uh, they're so dependent on Siakam as a secondary scorer and so if this is going to work with Embiid guarding him and he kind of gets taken out of things and you can get more help from Embiid as well you know we might see Toronto start to struggle to score in this series so uh yeah really it comes down to now Nick Nurse's time to adjust they've got to find a solution to get more production out of these bench units and they've got to find a way to let Siakam get those rim attacks again now that he's being guarded by Embiid anything else you want to say on this one no I think that's pretty good cover of it has this game changed how you feel about this series and overall obviously the the likelihood now is that it's going to go more than five but has it changed your overall feeling on the dynamics of the series yeah a little bit I I think that it was a reminder of something that we already knew which was that Toronto's offense is less consistent than their defense and finding something even if it's only for one game with the Embiid Siakam thing and I think it could it could have some real legs to it that that makes me feel a little bit shakier about Toronto you know like for me it was it was the question of five or six I think six is is more like significantly more likely now than it was before but I mean Philly just has to take care of business and win at least one of their home games to get that split and Toronto I mean we're, we're you're not only looking at this round but the next round and the idea of them having some rough shooting nights is is something that give, gives me a little bit of pause even if they make it through this for a potential series against whichever team makes it out of the other side yeah I didn't anticipate that the bench would struggle so much compared to Philly's bench it doesn't look like Mike Scott is going to be returning anytime soon he's still in a walking boot with that plantar fasciitis maybe it, it, he could make a return later in the series I, I'm actually worried about Greg Monroe and, and this ankle injury frankly he couldn't continue and usually you'll see guys can continue and then it'll swell up on them and they're in danger maybe for the next game a lot of times with these ankle issues but if he since he couldn't continue tonight that's definitely a concern if they got to go back to Boban or Amir Johnson all of a sudden things are looking a, a lot worse maybe we'll see more of Ben Simmons at center lineups and James Ennis will play even more than 24 minutes I still like Toronto in this series and I think they easily have the best player in Kawhi Leonard but Philly made it made it interesting that that they had no answers for Siakam in game one and now they found one. And, and that makes me feel much better what makes me feel worse 
worse is Joel Embiid still having zero impact whatsoever um on offense at least but maybe this is going to devolve it into somewhat of a defensive slugfest that and you imagine Embiid will play a little better at home pumped up by the home crowd I will talk Denver Portland momentarily but first I want to tell you about Quip I don't know that we look at ourselves as the most entertaining podcast not a lot of quips between me and Danny but that's because all the quips are taken by Quip which is the best electric toothbrush in my opinion if you haven't used an electric toothbrush yet you've probably got sweater teeth you've got plaque on your teeth you could probably even feel it the vibrations of your Quip toothbrush help you dislodge plaque from your gums from your teeth and you're not reliant just on muscle power it just gets your mouth cleaner than a regular toothbrush does and i think it's better than other electric toothbrushes because it's the size of a normal toothbrush it's just got a triple a battery that lasts for three months and it's great for kids as well the whole family can get refreshed with quip thanks to the new kids quip which has the same two minute timer and guiding pulses the original version just kid friendly features like a small brush head watermelon anti-cavity toothpaste and rubber grip handles in colors the little ones will love they start at just 25 dollars. and if you go to getquip.com slash capspace right now you can get your first refill pack for free you also can subscribe and they'll send you a refill pack every three months to make sure you get a new brush head so you're not using a, a worn out toothbrush that you just didn't go to the store to replace after three months once again the way to get started with them is getquip.com g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash capspace don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us and get that first refill pack for free so I asked the same question about Portland-Denver, a 121-113 Denver Nuggets victory in game one. They led by five or more basically the whole second half. Blazers got within, I think it was 101-96, and then Denver pulled away again. I picked Denver in seven. You had Portland in seven. Has this game changed your thinking on the series at all? Not a ton, because this idea of how Denver could win was absolutely there. I mean, Nikola Jokic was fantastic. They had a 127 offensive rating when he was on the floor. I mean, everybody scored a lot of the time, but Jokic 37, 9, and 6 on 21 shooting possessions. Or sorry, no, 24 shooting possessions. Uh, And he was dominant. They were, the Blazers were able to get Ennis Kanter on the floor. I was shocked that he played as much as he did. He played 33 minutes and despite really not being able to do much with his left arm. And they had no answers. And you could say, oh, you know, Kanter defensive limitations, all the old can't play him stuff but when you think about the other options that they have and portland tried some of these later on in the game those don't make you feel much better if if better at all yeah towards the end they tried because the murray Jokic pick and roll just completely destroyed the blazers in either direction it was mostly one five sometimes they ran it with that five one as well they also ran plays uh, where murray was screening for Jokic off the ball uh, that worked pretty well they just had absolutely no answers for that and part of it is because both murray and Jokic are really good floater shooters especially when they're wide open which they were i think maybe an adjustment that denver could do is to, to put more length on murray with aminu or harkless just so you can bother him a little bit more from behind because you just can't get Cantor out on the floor you got to just stop murray the same way the spurs kind of did uh with Derek white at times just to get more length on him, bother him from behind murray is not incredibly athletic he's got a lower release point so you can bother his shot a little bit that might be one 
thought that they could go for but i mean they just got completely carved up on that Jokic just going to the rim and finishing cancer can't really contest shots with his left hand he's too slow he's not good in space and then the nuggets shot it extremely well from three-point range when they tried to bring more help in Jokic was three out of five as well cancer is not going to get out on the floor on him if he decides to pop out to three after some of those dho's murray was getting some pretty wide open looks he was three out of six he had a great game with 23 points on 17 shooting possessions and eight assists he was passing the ball all over the gym looked pretty good so it's like we thought and then when Jokic got into the post they weren't able to stop him either and got to the line for 12 free throw attempts I mean, it was just a completely dominating performance and we knew that portland just wasn't going to have a, a, a bunch of a chance to stop him and Cantor, what did have 26 points on 11 of 14 himself at some point denver is going to realize that he can't shoot a shot with his left hand and, and cause him a little more problems around the rim but you know Cantor had some good pick and roll finishing dame lillard also uh, had 39 points himself and he was outstanding in 43 minutes played essentially the whole second half but i do think if you have to pick who has a better chance of slowing the other team down to some degree i think denver at least found a few things that worked okay whereas the blazers just don't have any options at all it was a brutal night for al farouk aminu he got Oof. completely roasted by paul Millsap in the first half Millsap dropped 15 points sorry 17 points six of eight from the field five of five from the line a lot of that at al farouk aminu's expense and then Millsap, partially because he played so few minutes in the second half didn't have as big of a time but aminu then he had some real struggles offensively also committed some fouls in you know on other players it wasn't just on Paul Millsap and one for five from the field three turnovers no assists and Portland they don't always need to step up on you know like uh, hit all their threes or something else but I thought both Harkless and Aminu struggled Aminu far far more and that combined with CJ not having a great game he you know he, he put hit some shots late but that puts so much on Lillard's shoulders and on the bench's shoulders and I thought the bench did they did okay overall for Portland but that overall mix is going to be really hard to sustain as brilliant as Damian Lillard can be yeah and Lillard was four of 12 from three I thought they did a pretty decent job of not giving him wide open looks a lot of times pick and roll and he was was able to snake the pick and roll he was able to split some of those traps they didn't have Jokic out on the floor as much defensively unless it was on the side where they could kind of trap him against the sideline and force him to give it up but a lot of times he was able to attack downhill and Jokic you know was not very effective as a rim protector on a lot of those plays Plumley, they're able to he's in theory is more mobile but you're still able to go around him in big roll D so you know I'm not saying that Denver's defense was awesome but just to get as much as they did out of Gary Harris McCollum really got off early and I thought Harris just got beaten straight up by him a a few times with quickness which probably shouldn't happen with Gary Harris uh because he's got some pretty good quickness as a defender but he started to play a lot better he did a really nice job at getting over some screens and helping to contest also blocked a a Lillard three when they switched Harris on to Lillard late in the game but I like the Harris McCollum matchup because I think Harris actually can impact McCollum whereas Lillard it's more more pick and roll and it's really more dependent on the big there with Lillard a lot of the time Lillard also had got some uh pretty friendly whistles as did some of the nuggets in the third quarter too but a lot of those fouls on the drives were pretty questionable uh that ended up putting into the line for what ended up 
being 13 free throw attempts so that was impressive though to hold cj to 16 points uh, on 18 shooting possessions like that's really what they need in this series and then i thought another really interesting number was only one three-point attempt combined for aminu and harkless aminu had some big shooting games against okc so denver at least and with lillard taking 12 of their 29 three-point attempts i thought they did a better job than expected of taking away portland's three-pointers and portland i really failed to take advantage of the corner three at all which is a shot that denver gave up a lot in the regular season and portland only took two corner threes in this game and throughout a lot of the game hadn't taken any so that was good to not give up uh, those corner threes portland also just needs to like actually catch passes better you know they had 10 turnovers against a defense and 18 in the first half and 18 for the game lillard had six although my recollection is that a few of those were plays that his teammates didn't catch he also got stripped a couple of times Jokic had three steals i think a couple of those came on lillard as he was trying to snake through uh, on those pick and rolls so Jokic did make some plays although you know his rim protection as mentioned it was not great but that's something where i don't think denver's going to be as successful as forcing turnovers against this portland team in the future and it was another great shooting game for denver with uh, 12 of 29 from downtown well and 27 to 31 from the free throw line that's another yeah. and another important one that was a difference of four attempts but seven makes thought that was a big margin i also thought that both teams with the exception of damian lillard who played the entire second half basically the both coaches overused their benches and it's this weird dynamic where both teams were doing well enough where they just kept their guys in but i mean we were going crazy on the nba cast about paul Millsap being out as long as he was when you know plumley had some moments but he's not a better player than paul Millsap. And it's not like he's a better fit for this series or that there's some sort of specific matchup. But it was largely a similar story for Terry Stotts as well. I thought he leaned too much on Evan Turner in the first half when Turner wasn't really bringing as much to the table. Seth Curry, you know, they're using him in some smaller lineups, so it's not just like that that Harvey second unit. But also like Portland, they have these guys that are capable of heavy minutes and they could do a lot more damage playing against these bench heavy units for the for the nuggets and, and so i thought especially in the first half portland didn't take sufficient advantage they just kind of seeded a tie when they could have done some more with that yeah i mean they, they did only play lillard and mccollum 17 minutes in the first half but then the plan apparently was to play lillard the entire second half aminu and harkless you know, the thought was hey bring those guys in earlier especially for turner but neither of those guys had a good game and harkless ended up falling out in 22 minutes although it, that was really the idea that they're going to switch this Murray Jokic pick and roll with Harkless and Aminu and then that one of those guys was going to guard Jokic in the post that didn't work too well in theory if you're going to do that you need to just double hard they didn't do that we'll we'll see if they go to that strategy more but that as we said on the NBA cast that was one of those strategies you try because not because it seems like it's all that great but just because everything else isn't working and you're desperate and I just I mean these centers Cantor, Byers Leonard, Zach Collins and Zach Collins is probably the best of those guys tonight uh but you know he's gonna foul like crazy he probably can't play more than 20 minutes i just don't see what their options are against Jokic. they can't stop Millsop. they can't stop the one five pick and roll i mean i I agree with you more really for denver in both with Plumlee playing a lot with morris playing 15 minutes murray only playing 34 minutes barton 16 he he was one of the few nuggets who was in the negative morris was negative 10 beasley at least can shoot the ball Uh, he is 
was uh 28 minutes but yeah i mean i think more murray more harris more Millsap. tory craig doesn't have as much of a purpose in this series to me he had four fouls in 19 minutes i did think he made lillard work some at the start of the third quarter in particular but to me both of these teams like you're not going to stop the other team and so in particularly in portland's case and i think we'll just see more of this now with especially if Amu and harkless can't play better we're just all right we're gonna just play seth curry at the three and we need we're just gonna outscore these guys that's really our only option you know i, I mean i think this series is just gonna trend even more towards offense than it already did in this first game when the teams had 123 and 115 offensive ratings both of those you know 116 i think led the league for with the warriors this well, season and what's even more ridiculous than that both teams had the offensive ratings in the half court in this game 109 for portland 113 for denver incredible yeah and I mean, that that shows you really that it's like we don't have a plan to stop these guys right because all right you're in transition the matchups are screwed up maybe you turned it over whatever like okay that's you're not going to stop these guys but yeah i mean that that's a great point that in the half court when you're just you're running your stuff you just don't have a matchup uh, to stop the other team and i mean i think denver can maybe do just enough to disrupt dame and cj and get the ball out of their hands but Jokic is just so versatile with where he can catch the ball and they're portland ultimately while they are a very good offensive team they only do a few things it's same and cj and pick and roll that really are going to worry you know Cantor posting up doesn't really work as well and Jokic is a good post defender so we're not going to see that as much whereas denver does a lot of things and portland can't stop any of them so i, I i'm feeling pretty good about the denver and seven pick i mean I, I very easily you know even if denver wins game two i could very easily see portland winning both of the games at, at home they, they have a great home court there as well so this series isn't over but certainly early on here it looks good for dinner but remember if Nikola Jokic and Mason Plumlee don't combine for eight steals and Portland doesn't turn it over 18 times this is a very even game and they're both right there a couple other things I wanted to mention briefly a lot of Rodney Hood on the second unit I thought he he was their best bench player overall 17 points 5 of 10 from the field hit a couple of threes in the early going and was a more reliable creator I, I thought he you know he got to his spots offensively and did a decent job I liked him out there better than Evan Turner and something else I thought was amazing looking this up portland had six steals so of only half of denver's turnovers were steals on those six steals portland scored zero points that's bad <laughs> um and, and another quick note here too watching this portland defense in this game just reminded me of how pathetic that offensive performance was from okc in the first round and that's it's just it's awful like the fact that they couldn't take advantage of canter and pick and roll and some of the size issues that portland has on the perimeter it's just it was not good far better than not good is hulu fitting i suppose that we've already talked about joel and bead's game and damian lillard's game joel changed his nickname from the process to joel hulu has live sports impede damian lillard got a tattoo that says hulu has live sports they want you to know that hulu has live sports because hulu is paying them to tell you that and i would like you to know that hulu has live sports because they are paying me to tell you that as well but they're not paying me to tell you that i really love their original programming as well pen 15 for example is fantastic great great comedy look up some of the reviews of that if you're interested they have the full seinfeld catalog as well that's a maybe my favorite show of all time i can never decide whether seinfeld or simpson my favorite show of all time simpsons does make for better t-shirts on the nba cast but 
Seinfeld is just fantastic. So having that whole catalog available is amazing. Great original programs. Watch on the go and on all your favorite devices. And of course, watch some live sports as well. It's only 45 bucks a month. And when you consider that if you're just paying for Hulu without live sports and live TV, without paying for their 60 live and on-demand channels, it's $11.99. So you're really only paying 32 bucks a month for your TV in addition to their original programming. Quite a steal. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply for that $45 a month deal. Learn more at Hulu.com. So we took stock of the overall free agency position of some of these teams and went through the free agent point guards. Now it's time to take a look at the shooting guards. We did that last week if you want to go back and listen to set the scene for free agency. And a reminder again that the way we do this, divide it into superstar, star, rotation, and fringe in both the unrestricted and restricted free agents. And there is one guy look at as a star that is clay thompson who will be 29 this offseason thompson stands out as a player who fits damn near everywhere because he can shoot he can defend both guard positions and it seems overwhelmingly likely that he will stay with the golden state warriors as long as they make a competitive offer i fully expect them to but you could imagine just about everybody making a hard push for him in that early going and or at least getting the temperature and if he's interested those offers will be on the table and he works so well as a complementary piece to the stars that are on the, that are on this market or the ones that are under rosters you know you like he's already played with Kevin Durant could do that again he'd fit beautifully with Kawhi Leonard I think those two guys together would be really destructive so I I wonder if he's interested in something else but I expect he'll be back what could complicate that potentially is if he makes an all-nba team likely the third team if he does at the guard position that would result in him being eligible for a designated player veteran contract as a free agent which would bump him up to a five-year 221 million dollar contract especially if kevin durant were to stay that would be extremely pricey for the warriors in terms of repeater tax dollars and it would start him at 38 million instead of 32.7 million this offseason the warriors have got to be crossing their fingers that he isn't eligible for that because you could see them if they don't offer him that full contract maybe alienating him and wanting him to look elsewhere and clearly every team with max space would love to to have clay thompson as you mentioned just because of how well he fits probably whatever contract he signs will end up being a bad contract by the end but he provides enough value on the front end of that that it'll look fine and especially because a lot of these teams that could sign him are contenders obviously the warriors as well and you imagine that with his size and shooting ability he'll age relatively well is he going to be guarding point guards at the end of that contract and yeah, maybe not but he's also quite durable as well so clearly the lakers will try to get him maybe philly if there's i, I mean every team is going to want to try and get him. you would think at the starter level i've got four guys in there although hey you know so, some of these i don't know if any of these guys are going to be getting you know the four-year 70 million dollar contract that some starters get in part due to age and in part because they're not as good as they have been in the past or maybe just overall uh, have some flaws but danny green at 32 four years ago when the max was a lot lower i told that he had at least one max offer at that point and said returned to san antonio on a four-year 40 million dollar deal he actually opted into his player option last year after an injury hit year but shot 45 percent from three and it is very versatile he is a excellent starting shooting guard provides some of the things that clay thompson provides 
but he's older and obviously nowhere near as versatile of a jump shot not even as good off the dribble as clay and you know probably as as a little older may not be quite as good defensively as clay is but still a very very valuable player it's just a question of how is he going to age over the life of whatever contract he gets but i think for some of these teams that are going to strike out but still might be trying to compete you know a two-year 20 million dollar deal for him is something i consider now again he's a guy who is undervalued by the league compared to what we've thought of him so something like that and i say sorry two years 40 million 20 million a year something like that but you know i think he's in the same kind of class as jj reddick was a couple of years ago in that 2017 offseason you know he got that one year 23 million dollar deal from the sixers so i could very easily you know see it and he fits in well with basically what any team is trying to do he could also really play the three for you as well we don't have a lot of threes available either anything you want to add on him what danny green wants in the destination will be really important toronto they're going to start the offseason not knowing exactly how competitive they're going to be and other teams might have a little bit more flexibility but i think danny green is lower on in the pecking order on a lot of these teams so he might just end up waiting it out just to see what team makes the best combination offer money role championship contention all that all of those things and this is the first time he's not only negotiating with the spurs so that could be or not only negotiating but you know that's the primary focus it certainly seemed like going back to his last negotiation reddick's free agency is fascinating partially because philly's circumstance is so uncertain if they retain their guys and thus are over the cap team and ownership is willing to foot this kind of a bill then they have a lot more flexibility in terms of what they can offer reddick if they become a cap space team that flexibility goes away pretty quickly and reddick this he's going to be 35 this summer what he wants in a destination is going to be important and kind of like danny green where he might have to wait it out a little bit unless he wants to make sure he strikes while the iron is hot because once the money evaporates it's going to be gone yeah and reddick 35 this offseason and can't really play more than 30 minutes a game especially in the regular season but still a very good shooting guard gives your offense something to do with those dho's i mean there are a lot of teams that could desperately use someone like him he, he might be too limited in the playoffs we'll see how he holds up uh, the rest of the this playoff run also really interesting in philly is if they do bring back butler and harris that they probably don't want to go beyond one year for reddick but they might just pay him a ton for this one year and just hope that he comes back for less the, the year after or maybe he declines enough but yeah that'll be interesting for me is the lucrative one-year deals will be there for him do they go for another year and and what does he want i mean i think he probably he has a home in brooklyn probably wants to end up staying in philly if at all possible it would seem contavious caldwell pope had a really down year i thought he was good in his first year with the lakers then he came into camp with knee soreness but ended up actually shooting it better towards the, the end of the year i still think he can play solid defense if you go down this list there just aren't that many shooting guards who can hit a three and actually play solid defense and so i know that probably lakers fans are like what the hell are you talking about he's in the starter category why are you talking about him about some of these other guys but i mean wait till we tell you what the rest of the list is right it, it's there are guys who are just so limited mostly defensively in this group so being able to have some kind of two-way production maybe he doesn't hit the three that well but overall in his career it's been good enough he's not a guy who just gets left open um you know 
Jeremy Lamb, I probably have him down in the rotation area. I know you're a little higher on him, though. Lamb is a great argument about positional scarcity. Like, I don't think Lamb is among the you know the best players. If you were to do so, thirty teams, five starters, that'd be 150 slots. I'm not sure he's among the 150 best players, but there aren't that many of those 150 that are that are twos, and so he benefits from scarcity. I'm not sure I'd have. I wouldn't pay him starter money. I don't know if he's a, if he's a starter on most on, on enough teams to justify that sort of thing. Also, Lamb 27, you know, I, I don't think that he has more blossoming to do. I think he could, you know, a little bit of refining could help. I do like his game overall. I, I think he'll be undervalued in this market. Like a lot of these guys might be because they're not particularly sexy. And the idea of, you know, oh, we have to have a shooting guard isn't, isn't as much of a thing as the other spots but then remember also the the shooting guard scarcity couples with this small forward that you could say oh you know you could slide you could slide somebody down not really because there aren't enough guys there either and so yeah that creates more of a need for guys like jeremy lamb and so i could imagine lamb and then if we get into the rotation guys west matthews amon shumpert guys like that i think garrett temple to me is a great example of this where the teams that get them will be very happy because i think they're going to be undervalued in the market yeah it's also worth noting too of just how much it kills your offense if you have a shooting guard who like isn't a good three-point shooter and you just have to get shooting at that position if you don't you just have to have so much at other positions to make up for it terrence ross at age 28 averaged almost 20 a game for the match he might have even been like right at 20 and but the problem is he's just so bad defensively and that was exposed a lot by toronto whether he'll be back in orlando will be an interesting question probably depends on vucevic as well whether they really want to run back this team that, that was the the seventh seed this year but doesn't appear to have a, a ton of upside Wes Matthews at 32 has slowed down a little bit on both ends that post game didn't really work to, too well for him in Indiana still shoots the spot up three in the high 30s but doesn't do much else on offense can't really finish at the rim anymore after that Achilles and defensively he might even be better guarding threes at this point than smaller guys you know I think he's just a, a little bit too slow at this point the, the versatility to guard bigger players and be tough and strong is useful though i, I kind of have him higher end rotation guy tyreek evans fits into more of the microwave score one of the few guys in this group that you look at as someone who can run pick and roll for you on the second unit but it was a real struggle for him this year he struggled with had to get that knee drained a lot you know, one of the least efficient seasons of his career in indiana so i don't expect a, a big deal you know he could be on another kind of prove it type of deal tyler johnson has a player option he's going to pick that up iman shumpert it hasn't gone well for him in houston he's only in the rotation in this first game because rivers was ill didn't play all that well with the rockets struggled to stay healthy again he's someone who has to have his minutes really managed he he emerged and played the three a lot he does have some ability to guard up he's tough uh but a very inconsistent shooter and not a great decision maker on offense so he's a decent bench wing but you're probably not feeling good about him starting for you at the two you mentioned temple avery bradley he's interesting on whether that non-guarantee is going to get picked up or not memphis is looking like they're moving into a new era in terms of trying to be a little more profitable so maybe that non-guarantee for 12 and a half million gets turned down it's only i think about what is it 1.5 million guaranteed something like that so he could be on the market he had a much better time over about 20 games in memphis before he got shut down but he was one of the worst players in the nba playing with the clippers so a lot of that's going to be eye of the beholder who else sticks out to you here wayne ellington still a dynamic shooter i i was just a weird year for him because early on it seemed like he was being maybe a little bit i don't know it felt like he well, felt by 
started, way he started. He started the year hurt, and I yes, think that was really the that problem. was really. But then he got up to you know a, a similar role in Miami overall. You know, like in terms of minutes per game and shots, a little bit less, but not not egregiously. Once he was healthy, and so what what kind of a role he gets offered? Remember, he signed that deal with the Pistons after he was bought out by the Phoenix Suns. What I want to mention, not because he because of he's going to opt out, but I think Alan Crabb might end up hitting the market as a stretch provision player because if Brooklyn really needs that money they might be able to trade him but they could just be sitting there thinking why would we give up assets because another team is going to see Alan Crabb as a negative value contract give up assets when as soon as we clear the space we're fine and it's not going to be that expensive for ownership to stretch that out over three years the subsequent payments even if they're just getting out of Darren Williams aren't going to be that egregious so I wouldn't be totally shocked if they do well in free agency if Alan Crabb hits the market and could be a nice value signing for somebody Reggie Bullock played well with the Pistons but then it wasn't really able to play as well with the Lakers but he's got some two-way ability Rodney Hood signed or I'm sorry signed that qualifying offer with Cleveland approved a trade to Portland a nice game tonight but he didn't play that well in the first round and you know he's looking like another kind of prove it guy you know maybe he gets like a two-year eight million dollar contract something like that to be a a score off the bench but another guy who's limited much like Ross uh, by just his lack of physicality defensively Gerald Green seems like another kind of minimum guy but he is in houston's rotation at age 33 and justin holiday had a real struggle once he moved to to memphis he might be closer to a fringe type of guy uh, anyone else stick out for you in this group? seth curry another one who had a good year this year shoots 44 percent from three would work really well on a team that has a another you know a tyreek evans type on the second unit to handle the ball and then he can spot up and maybe do a little ball handling on the on the second unit but anyone else other than that that sticks out to you in this group well, you brought up Seth Curry. I was gonna, I was gonna bring him up. I wonder what Austin Rivers wants in his next team. You know, minutes. Does, is he willing to take less money? to play somewhere where he can where he can get a larger role or on a better team I still think he has something to bring to the table and playing with Harden I think has has unlocked stuff but not every team needs exactly what Austin Rivers brings I mean he was traded for Marcin Gortat during last year and then there are a slew of like kind of like unlikely lottery ticket guys in that fringy category Furkan Korkmaz I think is probably the best example of that like the guy can shoot and that is really important that he can that he can potentially hit those shots but he's a defensive liability and I wonder if if another team can can just give him a small amount of money I don't think he's going to get some sort of crazy contract this isn't like the Hazonia situation to me but I, I certainly think that he's worthy of giving you know giving a spot to at the start of the season then if he sucks then you can cut him Alec Burks had a disappointing time in Cleveland you kind of wondered what he could do with more of a role that didn't do much but maybe someone a team that just lacks shot creation on the second unit would give a chance to. Let's turn to the restricted guys now. Malcolm Brogdon, very interesting situation in Milwaukee. He met the starter criteria, but his qualifying offer is going to be pretty low. His cap hold is going to be basically right at the minimum unlikely though they're probably going to operate as an over-the-cap team and seems like after chris middleton he'll be their next priority and i imagine this is going to be a lengthy negotiation i don't necessarily see i mean with any free agent you're probably better off betting that there's not going to be an offer sheet he the bucks attempted to extend him giving him that josh richardson deal four years about 47 million that was not to his liking so he's looking for more than that as a starter at age 26 this offseason where he's a pretty old rookie when he came 
team and this is, is finishing up his third year i don't know if there's a team out there that has cap space that profiles as wanting to give him a 15 million dollar a year offer so and obviously it depends how this buck season ends up too but that's going to be a really interesting one I, i'm not sure what he's going to end up getting but if i had to predict you know marcus smart is going to be a real interesting analog in a worse market he ended up getting four for 50 and Brogdon's is like well hey i'm i'm a starter you know so he's probably gonna be looking for something in like the 17 million a year range and my guess is it settles somewhere in like 13 to 14 million something like that uh i mean brogdon was like a 50 40 90 guy this year although the volume from three is not amazing well you brought up brogdon as an interesting negotiation he's certainly at the top of that list in terms of restricted guys the alonzo trier situation is wild because the knicks ostensibly and and their finances changed a lot after this happened they gave trier a richer deal than they had to because he was a two-way player and the way they structured it is he got 3.4 million for this season and then they did a 3.6 million dollar team option and so by that being a team option they can pay him that amount then it's easy that's straightforward and then he would be a restricted free agent after that but if they decline that team option then he is a restricted free agent and unlike if he was on a two-way contract or something else where it was where he had been low cost it would be a low cap hold basically if they decline if they decline that team option they're probably not bringing him back because then they would need to renounce they would need to renounce it or he could just sign that lucrative qualifying offer if he really wanted to yeah and hard to imagine that they give him that qualifying offer that could vaporize four million bucks of their cap space i think it's probably more likely that they decline it maybe they have an idea in mind of where they're going to go and then they they bring him back but his cap hold is pretty big too right that's cap hold is like four million so it's it's tough um roddy magruder got claimed by the clippers and he will have a low cap hold as well interesting prospect he is 27 shot it reasonably well from three over his career 35 percent good defender a little skinny to guard the three but as a guy who isn't going to cost anything against the cap while they are doing their free agent shenanigans as a solid depth piece and maybe even a spot starter at the two or the three especially i mean i guess it'll be shamit and shay starting at the one and the two but maybe magruder is your starting three next year if they don't hold on to garrett temple or patrick beverly that's the thought so basically for this offseason have him count for so little now his salary for next year and presumably would be more but probably not that much more you don't see maybe a team would come with an offer sheet on him but it seems like the whole thing was kind of arranged for him to end up with the clippers so it wouldn't surprise me if they reach an agreement quickly for him to return and that's the he got a rotation player for that low cap hold is pretty good but i don't expect him to get much in the way of offer sheets other rotation restricted free agent guys and this is you mentioned trier at age 23 wayne selden at 24 i kind of see him as a rotation guy he wasn't amazing for the bulls this year and david nawaba probably not someone who works that well on a good team but on a bad team that just desperately needs someone who can defend on the wing at, at 26 and someone who can handle the ball and at least get to the rim and finish you know he could be useful and then really the only other two guys that i look at patrick mccaw still only 23 but just offensively too limited in my opinion to get much more than just a flyer type of offer and tyler dorsey who is one of those second unit creator types but 
is just not good defensively he had some moments in memphis though and and maybe someone that a team would take a look at that needs some creation uh, on the second unit just to throw into the mix there as someone who could maybe blossom and i'm not sure that uh, mccaw would surprise me if he even gets a qualifying offer frank yeah i wonder how toronto um, toronto feels about his place in their rotation and the uncertainty that the raptors are facing financially team quality all those sorts of things i think those generally work against mccaw because the possibility that he just signs that qualifying offer and because if he signs that offer then he will be unrestricted after it so it's not like you even get that benefit of like hey well at least we get restricted at the end of this so i think it's possible that they do that they see something in him but uh, it's far from certain anything to talk about before we go yeah my offseason preview of the clippers offseason which is just so fascinating I, I think it might be the longest one i've ever written it was i think it's 1800 words something in that range going through some of their scenarios and the the possibility of waiting danilo ganari versus cap space which is a going to be a near-term thing if like the first couple days of july if they get some really good news and i think that i thought that was an interesting thing i wanted to game out a little bit zubach's negotiations all that sort of stuff i would assume that san antonio's will be out soon as well i i already submitted it so that should be out as well and we will be we're not doing the nba cast until thursday but we will of course have a have a dunk done tomorrow on what will be an eventful night of games game twos all right we'll talk to y'all tomorrow night till then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.